Do you like the feeling of power you have as a newspaper proprietor of being able to sort of formulate policies for a large number of newspapers in every state of Australia? Well, there's only one honest answer that, of course, and that's yes. Of course one enjoys the feeling of power. The newspaper can create great controversies, stir up uh, arguments within the community, discussion, it can throw light on injustices, just as it can do the opposite. It can hide things uh, and be a great power for evil. It's not a perfect system, obviously, but can you think of a better one? Hello and welcome to the first ever episode of Murdocracy, a podcast that keeps an eye on the news and influence of News Corp, the most influential media company in the Western world. I am Cam Wilson. And I am Sammy Shaw. Sammy, I am jacked and pumped to be here. <laughs> I've been looking forward to this. How are you going? I'm good. I'm good. I'm very excited. Um, uh, I have always been fascinated by News Corp's place in Australia's media landscape and culture landscape and getting the you know getting a chance to just chin wag with you about it every week is hopefully something that other people will enjoy as well but even if they don't I'm just happy to keep doing it just with you. <laughs> I feel like I've discovered a, a hidden treasure that that no one that that everyone's overlooked because, like you know, it's this massive story and, and people mm. are so interested in, in it. But despite that, you don't actually see that much close, consistent coverage of it in a kind of nuanced way. And and that's why I, at least I wanted to do this to you know to really cover it going forward to understand it. Uh, and uh, what better way than to do a, a weekly chin wag about it? Yeah. And uh, I look at the good, the bad, and and the ugly. Yeah, absolutely. There is a lot of ugly, but also we are willing to acknowledge that there will be some bits that are good and some bits that are even great, perhaps. And that's where the nuance shall lie. Totally, totally. And that's the thing. We only we're, we're not professional haters. We want good things. But I mean, you got you got to call out the, the yes. stuff that is bad or ridiculous uh, when it happens to to try and push people, you know, nudge people towards <laughs> yes. uh, the better. So, what bad and ridiculous things have happened this week? <laughs> <laughs> well, for our first uh, episode, I was thinking we could dive into how News Corp really started and uh, how the story that they tell seems to gloss over uh, the actual truth. But first, we should hit up News Corp News of the Week. This week, something pretty surprising was reported. News Corp says it is going to run a campaign for net zero carbon emissions by 2050. This came from Nine, Zoe Samius and Rob Harris. They broke the story of a two-week push in October by the media company led by Joe Hildebrand. Of course, this decision by the company who Nine, I think very politely called a influential player in the last decade of Australia's climate wars, isn't a full commitment. Um, The Guardian's Amanda Mead reported that News Corp Australasia chairman Michael Miller said that commentators wouldn't be muzzled and saying that mastheads will cover all views. Sammy, what do you think? Has the company finally seen the light of climate science? I'm very sceptical about some of this. Well, okay... Firstly, I want to point out, this isn't the first time that News Corp, or at least the ownership of News Corp, has signaled a uh, a love of climate science suddenly, right? I, don't, like, I remember the most recent one was when in November 2019, Rupert Murdoch um, declared there were, quote, no climate deniers in his company at a <laughs> stockholders, shareholders meeting, um, which was news to everyone in the company. In 2006, um, he also, I think, set up a entire company called One Degree that was going to, you know, be environmental activists and all of these things. And so, you know, and obviously nothing came of that. They've had this kind of PR push before, um, and, and and it ends up being more of a news story in other news media than something that actually filters down in their own ranks. And they made it clear. They've said they're not muzzling anyone, which means Andrew Bolt will say what Andrew Bolt continues to say, and everyone at the Telegraph will say what everyone at the Telegraph continues to say. The thing that I find interesting is if this is true, if it is actually a shift that is signaled, if the editorial board announces that, yes, this is the direction we're going, how does this then you know, fit within the bounds of journalism when you basically can change your, your position on scientific matters at whim? Right, you're acknowledging that before you were against it. Now you're for it. The science be damned. Um, you just make your points of view based on your points of view, based on your boss's decision, and that's the problem. Is what it says about newscope journalism, if it's true. We can all admit that there's no such thing as objective journalism, mm-hmm. and you know whether it's News Corp, whether it's any other company. 
Everyone comes with their own biases and focuses. That's what editorial decisions are. You know, by choosing to cover a story, uh, by choosing which voices to include, yes. you are showing a bias. And, and, and that's okay. You know, you, you try and be upfront about it. You try and be balanced. Um, what I think is, I mean, look, News Corp doesn't say they've actually changed their perspective. Exactly. What they're saying is we're just choosing to focus on something for a little bit. But it's undeniably a, a shift slightly in attitudes. Mm. But I wrote on this week, this week and I said, look, you know, it sounds like they're doing something, but the idea of net zero by 2050 is as bad a close as you can get to climate change denialism in 2021 because, you know, we just had this IPCC report come out, mm-hmm. you know, the, the world's uh, top scientists who took a pretty conservative view and said, we're doing really badly. We need drastic action. So the idea that you would say we're doing something and what we're doing is we are committing to a very, very uh, uh, low target, a target that is so far away mm-hmm. uh, and that we're not asking you know governments to do anything before then, I think to, to me is essentially climate change denialism because if you really believed <laughs> in it, You'd be doing something right now. You wouldn't say net zero by 2050. You'd say net zero by 2035. Right. So at this point, basically, all it is you're saying is a climate deni- climate denialism in another packaging. Totally. And I think, um, you know, like it, it, this came up in, uh, in something we'll talk about in a second. But when the Sky News CEO uh, was asked, mm. do you believe in climate change? He said, Yes, we believe the science, but the question is, what is the solution and at what cost? And that essentially continues that kind of denialism where you're just saying, you know, the main focus isn't the fact that the the main the earth is like on fire, like we are dealing with droughts and floods and everything. Um, you're saying, okay, well, we need to do something, but my real concern is how much is it going to cost and, and what is the right solution rather than being like drastic action right now, whatever it takes. And one of the things is interesting about this. All right. If you buy into the narrative that News Corp is, you know, for, you know, to be a bit hyperbolic here, the propaganda wing of the Liberal Party, um, you know, or, or of conservative far-right politics and right-wing politics, etc. If you buy into that story, then, you know, a, a signaling a shift in climate change, um, you know, understanding and expression by New Scope could potentially be signaling a change in how the Liberal Party will be talking about climate change as well, which could be happening a few months just before we're clearly going to be having a new election where majority of Australians have pointed out that they care about climate change as an issue, regardless of what News Corp or, or the government says. And so this is a really nice, convenient way of saying just before an election, this is something we all care about, this is something we're all on board in, but in such a slow and glacial way that by the time you notice that we haven't done anything about it, um, you know, your hair is on fire. Yeah, and, and I'm actually going to push back a little bit and say that, you know, mm. I think in, in many ways, you know, News Corp's major concern generally hasn't been specifically about politics. It's about kind of corporate interest, right? Yes. And, you know, for News Corp, uh, you know, we, we know that, a str- mo- you know, there was a study that came or a survey that came out recently saying that voters in every electorate uh, overwhelmingly want Australia to do more about climate change. It's not a political decision. It's an economic decision. You know, how mm. can you be a paper that has influence? How can you be a media company that has influence if you are so out of touch with the, the population? But the question is like, it's like, you know, sure, you know, you say you believe the science, but is it enough to say you do that and you want to do something vaguely? Or really, do you have to commit to something that is maybe a bit more uncomfortable, but <laughs> it, but is essentially necessary? And that's why I think that, you know, it's actually not that drastic move. In fact, saying this is an extremely concerning conservative viewpoint even still all right well let's see how it plays out because uh, so far you're right it's just been something that other outlets have reported on we haven't seen any actual evidence of how it will filter down to the actual columns and articles and new and news coverage um so you know the actual effectiveness of all this remains to be seen yeah. And the, the comments that the Sky News CEO, Paul Whitaker, uh, made about climate change, it came at the Senate hearing earlier mm. this week about their suspension from YouTube. And so at the Senate hearing, representatives from Sky News, YouTube and the media re- regulator, ACMA, all appeared in front of a, a panel, including Green Senator uh, Green Senator Sarah Hansen-Young and a few others. Um, Whitaker came out swinging, saying that the platform has not broadcast misinformation and actually it's 
it's YouTube that is the issue. Here's a clip of him speaking. We don't deny climate change. I accept climate change is happening. The question is, what is the solution and what is the cost? Uh, because as I explained, it's not a costless exercise. And as a media organisation, um, you know, uh, it's our role to hold governments of all persuasions to it. Uh, different political parties, because these policies and the decisions involved in have an impact on ordinary Australians in terms of industry jobs and household finances. Sammy, did you get a chance to watch any of this? I watched uh, several clips of it and then read a bunch of the transcripts as well of certain conversations, key conversations, the ones that largely I think everyone was focusing on as well, which was the moment, for example, where uh, Whitaker had to admit that um, you know News Corp is also a foreign-owned media outlet, much like quote-unquote YouTube might be. Um, and then there was you know other moments where one of my favorite moments was when one of the politicians um, who is, you know, part of the, this panel basically pointed out about ACMA, which Australian Communications Media Authority, um, and they, they asked ACMA, I'm just wondering what you actually do, which is literally what everyone in Australia has been asking ACMA since the ACMA was founded. Um, it, it's, it's an interesting thing because... I like that News Corp's approach to all of this is their approach to science as well, you know, their, their, to vaccine science, their approach to climate change science, which is to basically say, nope, that's not what's happening. This is what's happening. And just completely bald-faced lie. So, you know, when they say, oh, no, we're not promoting anti-vax theories at all, despite all of Sky News After Dark largely being focused on that kind of coverage, it, it, it's, it's exactly the same as everything else that they do, which is uh, say they're doing something, say they're not doing something while all the evidence points to them doing it and then everyone else goes well there's nothing we can actually do about that now can we yeah i mean what you you see on on sky news and, and how you see i think news corp use its editorial power generally is not that it comes up with fake information you know they don't like make up experts they don't cite statistics that are literally wrong what they do is they use their kind of you know their megaphone to amplify certain topics certain voices that represent the kind of sides that you know they're interested in and so that's how you kind of get you know alan jones bringing on to sky news you know these random experts who are not you know super credible in the field but they happen to support you know the use of a, a disproven covid drug rather than vaccines and so technically they're not saying misinformation you know the pe people come out there they often you know quote statistics that are kind of misleading or taken out of context or don't reflect you know the broader point of view but in doing so they manage to both walk the line of being credible we know we're being accurate we're asking people that kind of thing but we're also you know not actually really representing the world in a real way and and i think that's how you see it in this you know paul whitaker can come out and say we don't we don't uh uh kind of promote misinformation what i would have liked to have seen a question is like a very basic one which is how do you choose what people and what evidence to actually platform you know tell us how to do it do, do you come to a conclusion and then get kind of evidence to support that or do you or, or rather than the other way around which is looking at the evidence out there and being like how can we best represent it well, one of the things that was very telling, I think, was there was supposed to be, you know, Paul Whitaker presented himself to the Senate hearing, but also the, he wasn't the only one who was asked to be there. Um, Lachlan Murdoch was asked to be there, and he didn't turn up. He declined his invitation to speak, as did um, Alan Jones, Rowan Dean, and Rita Panahi. So there are people who could have answered, because you know, Paul Whitaker can always say, look, we clearly don't have an editorial mandate because um, I'm all the way at the top and I don't put one out, and mm. which is the argument that Sky News always puts forward. So then you talk to the people in the trenches, the actual presenters, the actual editors, all of these people. But if the presenters now are refusing to turn up to a Senate hearing, and also, I didn't know that was an option. Here's, this might be me being naive, but I always thought a Senate hearing invitation is like jury duty. When the Senate <laughs> calls you to the floor, you bloody well turn up. And if you don't turn up, you're in trouble for that. I didn't realize it was like a RSVP-based invitation and you can just decide in the day. I think it's an, it's an offer that you're probably not supposed to refuse. <laughs> well, clearly there's no downside to refusing it. So is Senate then just as, uh, Senate hearings, are they just as useless as ACMA? <laughs> oh, look, I think you can got to get some interesting stuff out of there. But I, I will say that I, I found it to be, you know, like 
Um, my feeling is that this was an opportunity for um, you know people on the Senate hearing mm. to have a public whack at Sky News and, and you know to really you know grill them and to be seen grilling them uh, and good you know you get a chance to put questions to them but I think like the way that it was set up the fact that they're talking actually what is technically a decision by YouTube meant that really like the real question of the day is how does YouTube work and I think you know that's why when when the Sky News CEO came out swinging you know there was there's definitely a tr- a, um, an element of truth in it which is that we need to be holding you know places like youtube accountable as well mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. i do think that it wasn't necessarily set up in a way that was going to you know ensure the you know reckoning for news corp that i'm sure some people hope for um so maybe that's why we didn't you know necessarily have that kind of moment at the hearing how much of this is just the uh, you know like the kevin rudd show like it's like <laughs> you know it's it's something that you know, because it, it is something that kevin rudd's been really kind of beating on for a while and 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 it's it's clearly his um activism du jour for him um and and when you look at the panel of people who were there in the senate hearing there, there's you know there's sarah hansen young there's marion farooki there's very few people you know david Littleproud, for example wasn't on that panel mm-hmm. which is you know something that you find interesting given the given his role in government so what happens when um you know this seems to start looking like kevin rudd and his you know, Kickstarter campaign to <laughs> to go after Sky News and just another element of that. There's a good question about media diversity, and it was it, mm-hmm. this Senate inquiry was set up initially because Kevin Rudd wanted to do a media inquiry, what he called the Murdoch Rule Commission. He clearly wanted it to be just about News Corp. Yeah, um, it it kind of got broadened out when it got brought in by, and then it was a motion that was passed by Sarah Hansen Young. And so I do think you're kind of seeing a little bit of disconnect between, you know, here's what they were pushing for, uh, you know, here's what they really wanted, and what they ended up getting, which was actually what's supposed to be a uh, inquiry into media diversity broadly and so mm-hmm. I, th- I think you know it's always going to be tough to kind of you know get get what you want if, if that's not how it's actually been set up basically you're saying it's going to be tough to get what you want when kevin rudd wants something else <laughs> yeah exactly <All> right. <laughs> uh moving from uh, sky news to uh, news corp's regional papers um there was mm. news this week reported by the abc that um news corp will stop distributing its papers into parts of regional queensland this weekend um ellie grounds reported that towns further west than charters towers in the north emerald in central queensland and in some parts of the state's southwest will be affected as distribution ceases in the regional centres of Longreach and Mount Isa. Um, Grounds wrote, residents in impacted towns will no longer have access to a physical daily paper covering state, national and international affairs. What I kind of found interesting was that Federal Minister, member of the government, David mm. Littleproud, came out and he said that he had personally lobbied News Corp uh, and News Corp's chairman, uh, Michael Miller, and said that that Michael Miller did not go into those conversations in good faith. He said, quote, it was simply just going through the motions to pat us on the back and send us on the way. Uh, Sammy, to me, this seems is like a story that's really about, you know, media generally cutting costs and having to deal mm-hmm. with the realities of, of the media business in 2021. What do you think the impact of something like this is? See, the problem here is that to expand into those towns, a lot of uh, News Corp, you know, and you can look at this historically as, as something that's played out, News Corp did a lot to disenfranchise um, and and devalue the local newspapers. You know, there was ownership that they, they basically did the thing where they went and bought many of the distribution arms and many of the publish, publishing arms of uh, local newspapers in small countries towns across Australia and then once they own those they roll them up shut them down and then basically introduce their own papers which then now are also not going to be available um it kind of fits the if you like if you want to think of an analogy for what they've done it's a bit like uber right where uber came not uber yeah uber sorry uber came out with uh, this ride sharing app and the idea behind it was it'll be cheaper than taxis even if uber has to make a loss to make it run until the taxi industry is devastated and finished and then uber can charge as much as they want afterwards which is kind of what Newscope did, except the one thing that didn't work out is they couldn't charge whatever they want afterwards because it turns out nobody reads newspapers anymore. So they just had to roll up the entire thing. When you devastate local newspapers in local communities, 
people in those committees stop reading the newspaper entirely. Um, they're, they're offering the alternative of, of digital, which again, given the internet access in some of these far north, far Queensland towns, um, isn't great already. Uh, but uh, at the same time, is this a boon? Is the fact that, you know, far north Queensland towns can no longer access uh, News Corp newspapers mean that they finally um, will be less, you know, vi- you know less um, proliferated by News Corp propaganda? Yeah, look, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I tend to think that, um, you know, like the truth is that a lot of News Corp coverage is pretty down the line. And, you, you know, mm. you, you, we do see bits of it get pulled out, uh, which are, are often not, not great. They can be even horrible and, and they deserve criticism. But also as a major, you know, one of the two major media companies in Australia, mm. like losing them in a regional town for people who, you know, just for whatever reason, can't or choose not to use digital media it's it's a real loss and it's sad and, and you know you know like many of the the news court buying up these regional papers or taking over distribution is also because other places you know other small companies couldn't really support it and you know they needed you know the kind of the saving benefits of being absorbed into a bigger company i mean that's i mean how they would argue it mm-hmm. so i mean it's it, you know it's very very hard to say if you can practically run a distribution in these towns so newspapers otherwise we, we don't really know the counterfactual for me look it would be easy to be like you know uh take that you know rupert murdoch you know one one less uh arm of of influence but i do think that it will actually be a loss of 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 great importance and information for people who who really need it so here's the question is and we know this for example that that you know newspapers are a suffering medium. I don't know if a dying medium is the correct thing because they still continue to live, but they're definitely a suffering medium. Uh-huh. Um, and given that the newspapers in these regional towns that they are no longer going to be distributing are mostly national uh, newspapers we're talking about. We're talking about the Australian, we're talking about the Weekend Australian, we're talking about some of those newspapers. Um, do, you know, AFR, for example. Um does that mean that maybe the readership was anyway minimal, given that no one reads newspapers anyway? Yeah, so I, I think it, like the article says it's about like one percent of News Corp's overall distribution being lost. So mm. you know, in, in the scheme of things, that that really is peanuts. But you know, like when when you've got small towns in regional parts of Australia, that may be like one of their few. Uh, I guess, kind of sources of information from the rest of the world. And so I think, you know, if they don't have that, um, you know, even if, even if, you know, there's a changes in the future, like this, this uh, pro uh, net zero by 2050, mm-hmm, which might have mm-hmm. a minor change, like, <laughs> you know, that influence can't, can't be had on, on the town anymore. So yeah, I, I, I do think it, it, it's sad and, and you, you will be leaving many places without inv- like a good source of news. So a real shame. Mm-hmm. And finally, this was uh, this was too good not to talk about. Um, the Australian's media writer, and one of them, I would say their major culture war correspondents, Sophie Ellsworth, wrote an article titled The Growing Evidence of the ABC's News Corp Obsession. Uh, this came after um, the ABC did a two-part uh, a series um, on Fox News. And so they kind of hit back with a write-up of right-wing lobby group, the Institute of Public Affairs Analysis, which used media monitoring, they claim, to show that how many times News Corp was mentioned by the ABC. And that was 56 times a day or 1,700 times in total in August. Sounds like a lot, but the only problem was their methodology was a little bit suspect. The ABC's Jamie Travers obtained the data from the IPA. He went through and he found that data included both material that was syndicated. So like, Mm -hmm. you know, every time a a news story was repeated on all of the ABC's um, regional stations, which they have many, uh, that would be counted individually, as well as literally any time the word Murdoch was mentioned. Sammy, I'm going to go through some of these and I want you to tell me, do you think that these show an obsession with News Corp? Okay, so so number one, Greg Hunt is urging Australians to take an AstraZeneca jab while in News Corp papers, the head of Australia's top medical research. What do you reckon? 
I mean, they mention new score papers. They provide a uh, the word "meanwhile" is oh, sorry, "while" is used, uh, which means <laughs> there might be some counterpoint about to be coming up in the dot 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 that you left out. So okay. who knows? We'll, yes. we'll, we'll chalk that one up. Okay, here's a second example. All right, go uh, ahead. Uh, the uh, metal exchange nickel for, was up one percent. Crown Resorts was up one point eight percent, and News Corp up five percent at seventy one dollars. Do you reckon reading out the markets mentioning News Corp is that an obsession? I mean, it is an obsession if you are looking at investing in News Corp, which, by the way, is up, you know, five a quarter percent up uh, at $71. That sounds like a great buy. I might invest in News Corp. <laughs> so that was counted eight times. And, uh-huh. he, and, and he, here's another one. Uh, a chef called Lauren Murdoch was on ABC Sydney Evenings, which was syndicated around New South Wales and the ACT on August 4th. The quote was, thank you so much for being here. All the best cheese. Yes, Lauren Murdoch here, a, a wonderful chef who's no stranger to listeners. I mean, that that is really the killer blow, isn't it? A Murdoch obsession, even so biased that they would try and bring on a, a chef who lines up with their obsession. Don't you reckon? I think it's becoming that case where anyone with the last name Murdoch is really now getting angry with their parents for not having changed the last name because it's causing awkwardness like ending up in an IPA article. You know what happened? Okay, I'll tell you what happened. The IPA wanted to do the story. They assigned it to an intern, probably some private school preppy boy with a bow tie and giant spectacles and hair slicked back who probably listens to Mumford and Sons. And uh, they told him, hey, find how many times they've done, they've referenced Murdoch and News Corp in uh, this thing, the kid pressed, you know, control, all, control, F, and just <laughs> counted how many times in control F the word Murdoch came and was like, yep, 2,700 whatever many times, not once bothering to check the references, gave the article on to um, the editor, the columnist at the Australian, who, you know, with all her rigorous research, that she so clearly has never done in her life, then went on to publish the article. The problem is, and this is what's interesting, is we see this as a self-own, right? So a lot of people mm-hmm. on social media are saying, look at Murdoch, they press, or look at Newscope, they look Posting like fools. <laughs> That's right, look, you know, look at this. And then, and then um, the ABC published their rebuttal to this as well, which we'll get into it in a bit. But the people who read that article or that column aren't the type of people who will necessarily be in the social media ecosphere where they see the rebuttal. They are not the kind of time people who might even read the ABC rebuttal at all. And so they'll just buy into this, that ABC is Murdoch obsessed and uh, never actually once consider that this is a just bad accounting. Yeah, and, and to be fair to, to Sophie, she did mention explicitly the methodology, which was that they searched for any mentions of Murdoch and, and News Corp, um, mm-hmm. but uh, like obviously didn't then take that any extension, like didn't extend that any further to say, well, yes. that probably shows that there's going to be some methodological issues. And I mean, to be honest, like to publish something like like this i think either shows that you didn't understand the information or you didn't respect your audience enough that they would pick that up or to try and actually get to the truth of this it was just a cultural thing that i think is pretty embarrassing but you you're absolutely right all, all sides will come out of this getting what they want you know the the news corp gets to push on their, mm-hmm. their campaign against the abc being like look how obsessed they are with us and they've got their side and the abc calls out this rightly like honestly like th- th- this does not show i think what they say it shows uh and then everyone kind of goes away with their minds pretty much as they were before yeah basically and uh it's still at the end of the day it's, it's one of those things where it's it's a funny thing it's a funny example of where you know the culture wars have reached and, and, and I, you know, we know, for example, that News Corp has been very upset with the ABC for their, their Four Corners special on Fox News. Um, so, you know, this is just one of those, like, both sides lobbying, you know, um, basically barrels of oil at mm-hmm. each other. The thing that I find interesting is I've worked at the ABC. I've mm-hmm. been an ABC employee. I've, you know, I've been a, a presenter at the ABC. I've been a, a staff reporter at the ABC. I've, you know, been in social media at the ABC. And there isn't that obsession. It just isn't there. Um, News Corp outlets are seen as one other source of information along mm. with everything else. Right? When you when you go in in the mornings, you read the Australian cover to cover the same way that you read everything else, The Guardian or, or, mm. or, or anything else, because you're looking for news stories to talk about. So there's, it's interesting, I think, that News Corp is probably dealt with as a far more credible news source 
by the ABC, the news scope tends to present itself sometimes. Yeah, that's interesting. I have been an ABC employee too. And and I kind of see, I think there's two things. One, mm. people at the ABC are very scared of of something being picked up by News Corp. I, I think yes. they, they do. They, they really do fear that. Uh, and because they know that, you know, that News Corp's editorial strength often gets used against them and they're worried and and often like this out of context or unfairly but yeah. i also agree with you you know they also like people at the abc will go through news corp reporting and, and use it as legitimate like they won't shirk it just because it's from news corp as well absolutely yeah. so you, you end up with this asymmetry which is that uh you know the abc can't really hit back because that's mm-hmm. not you know they're supposed to be you know they can't start covering news corp in the same way that news corp covers them uh whereas news corp will just keep on doing it. And so that's kind of how we kind of get this erosion, I think, of, of trust in, in the public institution as the ABC, which, you know, of course, deserves scrutiny, deserves criticism for plenty of things. But when it comes unfairly like this, you know, mm. like, I don't think anyone's really winning out of this, except maybe New School. For our first deep dive, we wanted to look into the story of the genesis of News Corp. The story it tells is that it started with a chance meeting between two strangers on a train. But how true is that? Sally Young is a professor of political science at Melbourne University and author of Paper Emperors, The Rise of Australia's Newspaper Empires. When she investigated this origin story, she found out that the fable left out the real reason the company was founded. Hi, Sally. How are you going? Hi. Well, thanks. What is the story behind News Corp or News Limited? What's the story that it tells about its beginning? So the story that it tells was that it was founded in the 1920s, which is true. Um, It says it was founded by a man named Jim Davidson, who was the former editor of The Herald here in Melbourne. And Jim Davidson was on a train and met, in some versions of the story, a miner. And they together hatched this plan to start a newspaper, um, two newspapers they ended up um, running, and one was in Broken Hill and one was in Port Perry. So the story is that they came up with this idea independently. Jim Davidson, this brilliant editor, ran the company at first and these two small papers were turned into uh, a much larger company when they started a paper in Adelaide, The News. So that's the story that um, has generally been told about how the company started back in the 20s. When you heard that story, that seemed a little bit off to you, didn't it? Yeah, it did because of the locations of the papers, the two papers that they started. So one in Broken Hill and one in Port Perry. And I knew from reading about the Herald and writing about the Herald in Melbourne, which was a very important afternoon paper and from the Melbourne Herald developed the Herald and Weekly Times company, which was a very big company that Rupert Murdoch ended up taking over in the 1980s. But that company was very important. It started in Melbourne, but it spread much more widely around the country to WA, to um, South Australia, to Tasmania, to Queensland. So it, it ended up being a giant. And when I heard the name of Jim Davidson and I knew that he'd worked for the Herald and I heard about the two papers in Broken Hill and Port Perry, I thought that's a remarkable coincidence because Broken Hill, of course, is a big mining town, Um, you know, huge wealth has come out of Broken Hill and Port Perry was the other end of Broken Hill's supply chain. So I knew that and I knew that um, Jim Davidson had worked for the Herald and the the Bayou family were very important at the Herald and they were also part of this big mining company and metals company, a huge company. Um, It wasn't just one company, it was several and it's often called Collins House And a lot of the brands that we know even today came out of this big industrial complex of Collins House, things like CUB, um, Dulux, Rio Tinto, um, Broken Hill Smelters, all sorts of companies. So this was a huge industrial complex in Australia in the 30s. It ran so many things. Um, So when I sort of started looking into the history of it, I thought, well, this is a bit odd. But then when I discovered that the other man that Jim Davidson was talking to on the train was actually Collins 
Collins House's industrial fixer, like their industrial consultant. So then I thought, right, this is getting more and more interesting and I think there's some connection there. So so basically what I think is that um, William Lawrence Bayou, who was the head of Collins House and the very wealthy Bayou family, very important family, uh, he put Jim Davidson up to this and put him in touch with Collins House industrial consultant and the two of them together started these papers um, and started this company. So that's where I think News Corp really came from. It was called News Limited then. There is, though, if you don't know that kind of um, research that you've done, you know, if you just go on the the Wikipedia entry of the story, there's a a a myth there. There's an Aussie, you know, battler kind of, you know, good old boy, you know, um, mate kind of feel there, which is basically this editor with gumption and wherewithal, you know, inspired by a hardworking miner, probably with coal dust on his face, and they met on a train and they set up a newspaper and look where it is now is that on purpose is that kind of mythologizing um the origins uh, uh, something that you think was done purposefully definitely i think the origins were clearly hidden and this isn't the first time this is um, having written a book about the history of newspapers it's quite common to hide their origins because the truth was that often there were very wealthy powerful people behind these newspapers and they don't start them up just for the fun of it. I mean, there's a certain degree of influence that they want to have. And these papers were very important um, in places where, in this case, the mining was going on. You know, they needed to convince the workers to stay on side. They were worried about a union newspaper. That's really why they they started this um, paper in Broken Hill. They're worried about the miners being influenced by this um, quite left-wing trade union paper. So they want an opposition um, paper to that. And they actually talk about in in the paperwork that I found using these papers for propaganda purposes. Um, And that word had different connotations, isn't as dark and evil as we might use it now, but they were definitely about influence. And even the paper in Adelaide, Adelaide was a very important place for this company. It's where a lot of decisions are made that influence these mining companies and these metalwork companies. So it was a crucial place to have a paper. And Bayou's connections with the Herald and Weekly Times here in Melbourne, well, Melbourne was the financial and political capital back then. Um, And some of the other locations that they went to take over the papers were places like Perth, because that's another place where mining policy is really important. Um, So, yeah, you know, there's a lot of connections. And it surprised me when I wrote the book and I looked into the history of a lot of newspapers, how many connections there are with with mining companies, actually. And this is one of the most obvious. So these papers that you uncovered were were correspondence, private correspondence that you you found in an archive. What, What did they actually lay out? Well, they they lay out that, you know, they're deliberately starting these, um, you know, the the papers up that they're trying to, they're trying to, um, it it says in the the correspondence, let us try and educate our men and the public too. There is great room for propaganda in Broken Hill and Port Perry. So, you know, that's really in a nutshell what it's all about. And in other correspondence that I found, they talk about, say, a paper like the West Australian in Perth, Um, You know, it's an incredibly influential paper because it's um, sort of got a monopoly there. Even back in in those days, it was really important, the only um, sort of morning paper in that in that place. So it says in those sort of letters as well, you know, that they can have great influence on public policy there because, you you know, people who make laws, politicians, um, business people, they read the paper. There is only one paper. So that is a hugely influential stream to be able to influence public opinion. Well, one of the things that I always um, find interesting is, you know, we talk about the influence of these papers. We talk about the, the, you know, we know in the here and now that Rupert Murdoch owns News Limited, you know, the the News Corp. And this isn't new information to us and it doesn't bother us. We know that billionaires own, you know, most news channels around the world. Why was this information then deemed as something worthy of hiding in the past? Why in the past did they want to obscure the origins of the papers and not let people know that a really rich man is behind this? Yeah, but it, but even the example that you've just given given there, I mean, Rupert Murdoch doesn't just own this company himself. 
his family's actually, um, they're not a huge shareholder in their own company. They've set it up in a way where they have a huge amount of influence in that company, but there are a lot of other shareholders and I don't know necessarily who all of them them are and neither do you. And um, so, you know, it's never just even back in these days, never one person behind uh, behind this necessarily. Um and they don't put who owns a newspaper. You don't open up the Herald Sun, it says down the bottom, owned by the Murdoch family. It says it's owned by a company. And then you have to dig to find out who actually are the major shareholders in that company. So um, so I did spend a lot of time in archives trying to look up um, shareholders. And, uh, you know, I'm still interested in who owns News Corp today, who are the other big shareholders behind it. So, uh, you know, it, a lot of it still is hidden, even though we think we know. But back then it was, it was a lot easier to hide and there wasn't a lot of scrutiny on it. It was just taken for granted that these were public companies with lots of shareholders. That's what people, what they told people as well. We've got thousands of mum and dad shareholders. But when you look in the papers, they might be thousands, but they own tiny amounts. The ones who own the big amounts of, of shares are associated with Collins House in this case definitely for News Limited. And that was still the case when Rupert Murdoch took it over in the 50s, that some of its biggest shareholders were still these people connected with mining companies and um, big business in Australia. So what were its early years like? Well, well, it was an important paper. I mean, the news we're talking about now in Adelaide was an important paper. It was an afternoon paper. And afternoon papers in those days, um, in the 20s, they were the breaking news medium of the day. You know, you went to work and when you finished work, you, um, you know, you went to the train station and there's the afternoon paper. And it's a big deal because that's all the breaking news stories of, of the day. Um, so they, they were important and they were the growth sort of newspapers at that time. So the Herald here in Melbourne, the one I was talking about, was also an afternoon paper. And they were the, the go-getters of the media world of that time. So it was an important paper, but the news was Adelaide's not a huge place and it wasn't a big place back then and it, was, it wasn't a big moneymaker under Davidson. And um, Davidson was sort of the nemesis of Rupert Murdoch's father, Keith. The two of them were, were sort of battling for a way for William Bayou's affections. He, he was known to them both and mentored them both and took them both on. Um, so, and they also were battling for sort of supremacy in the newspaper world. They were both first Davidson and then Keith Murdoch were editors of the Herald. So that was sort of the most influential position of the day. So I don't think they had a lot of time for each other. And, um, you know, Keith Murdoch was sort of instrumental in pushing Davidson out and then he takes over the news. And first of all, he runs it for the Herald and Weekly Times, but then he gets it in his own right. And that's how he's able to pass it on to his son, Rupert. I'm I'm kind of curious. I I don't know much about what news was like. You know, the the quality of news was like back then. If you kind of if you took some of the coverage that was written back then and plopped it into a newspaper today, would it seem very out of place? What are the main kind of distinctions? It would seem out of place to readers now because it's very formal. Um, a lot of it was based on, you know, transcripts of political meetings or verbatim recordings of things. So, you know, you'd probably see it as pretty dry and dull. Um, but they were, for its day, it was flash and it was, um, you know, a lot of it was coming off at the time, news wires and telegraph. And that was you know, having telegraph coverage was just, you know, that ability to report flashing news as it's coming up, breaking news, that in afternoon papers, that was pretty radical at the time. That was seen as really advanced. Um, so we'd see it as a bit odd now, but in those days it was, um, you know, fast and Davidson was quite famous for concise and, you know, sort of American techniques of writing news, really concise and um, daring and bold. So it would have seemed really good at the at the time. And it, and it still is probably by comparison with some of the paper's coverage today. It was comprehensive. It was detailed. It was factual, which is a lot more than you get from News Corporation today. So, all right. So your summary then, if I understand this correctly, is that it was founded in a way to be a sort of a mouthpiece or at least you know, to have some level of influence for the mining industry, um, which if that's true, then really throws some of the current coverage around climate change, for example, into a really interesting light. Um, 
what's to stop you know someone from New Scope to turn around and say, well, that's just conspiracy theory nonsense, and you know why why should we believe this? Uh, well, because it's true. <laughs> um, why should you believe it? Well, because it's a, it's factually true. I mean, you only have to look at the. It was so obvious to me once I saw the the names of the players involved. I mean, it, it's not for necessarily anyone outside that, but. If you know anything about Collins House, if you know anything about the Herald and Weekly Times, um, you know, it, it's obvious what was going on. It's in the correspondence that that's what they were trying to do. And this is not unusual. It wasn't the only paper. Um, the West Australian in, in Perth was also taken over by Keith Murdoch and people from Collins House. So um, Bill Robinson, Bill Bayou, they were all involved with that paper as well. So it wasn't the only paper with mining companies behind it. And I didn't expect to find that when I started looking into the history of Australian newspapers. And I thought, oh, God, this does sound like a, you know, a conspiracy theory. But that is the truth. Um, the, the Bayou family and the, the mining and metals company they had, which was a huge company, were involved with the Herald and Weekly Times with all these papers. And that wasn't, um, you know, this one wasn't unusual in that sense. This was just another one that was part of this at the time. And it's still, um, you know, I'm getting up to writing later parts of this history. They're still all entangled, really. It's not clear that this ever just went away necessarily. Then you start seeing banks being major owners of newspapers and banks have an agenda to push too. And if you have to think about where does power lie in Australia, mining companies and banks are too obvious places where power lies in in the corporate world and they were behind the ownership of newspapers they weren't the only owners but they were major owners very important so when you look at at, at news corp today i mean i think it's it's easy to kind of draw these parallels between the 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 hidden history that you outlined and then maybe what people would say as the pro corporate pro mining bent of news corp uh, today is that a little bit too glib are we trying to draw a straight line between the two and kind of papering over differences in the middle or or do you think that really it is part of its dna and and no wonder it's going to keep on showing throughout history um I don't think it's necessarily it has to be that way or it has some um, inbuilt. I think the thing that we don't know enough about is, um, you know, who are the other owners of News Corp and some of the other major media companies that, that we have? Um, you know, what are, what are the interests and agendas behind owning a major media company? So, you know, owning a newspaper used to be about two things. It was about money, making money, which they were. They made a lot of money. And it was about power and influence as well. Now they're not, the newspapers don't make a lot of money. They're, they're loss makers. So you don't get into them to make money um, and you don't even stay in them to make money. They are a drain. So the only reason left is, is power and influence. And we're still seeing that. And that, I think, has never gone away. That's always been there. So it's not like drawing a straight line, like mining companies have always owned this company. or so. It, it's like the origins are there. They're clearly there. They're there for a long time. And we still need to ask questions today about why is this company so um, positioning itself in such a way about climate change debates? Why? One of the uh, things that's interesting is New Scope historically does not take well to um, criticisms of its output. You know, we saw quite recently uh, Four Corners on ABC published some fairly critical journalism around Fox News. And there's been a bit of a reaction that, you know, some people have called hysterical uh, from New Scope. You published this in 2019. Uh, was there feedback? Was Was there a reaction at all? I think. I think they can ignore academics fairly safely because we write, <laughs> we write big, dull books. Um, you know, it's not a, I'm, I'm not going to reach an audience like the ABC or um, CNN or anything like that. So if I write in a book that, um, you know, this is the real origin story of News Corp, 
they're better off just to ignore me. And I think, and that's generally what I, what I get, which is fine. Um, you know, we can all see what it looks like to be on the end of News Corp turning its um, attentions to you. But, but generally I think I'm, you know, I'm expressing something on the basis of archival material and historical connections in a big, long book. So I'm not as threatening in any sense as say having an, an ABC program about something or other that reaches a lot of people in the, in the country. So um, I think that's partly why. But look, no, they have not disputed um, the facts and they could have easily let me see their own archives, but they didn't and wouldn't let me. So, um, you know, I have to take that as, you know, here's the evidence. I've laid it out. People can disagree with it. Absolutely. That, that's absolutely fine. But I haven't seen anything from News Corp to say, no, there's nothing here. I mean, I've got copies of the papers of who were the shareholders of this company when it started. And their list, their address is listed at Collins Street at Collins House. So it's pretty hard to dispute. Sally, you met you mentioned their archive just before. Is there any document that you think might be in there that you would love to get your hands on as someone who has studied this? Oh, all of them. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'd love to see their, um, you know, their board meeting minutes. Uh, they would have so much good information. And that, that's what I mean, it kind of surprised me and disappointed me, but I suppose I shouldn't have been surprised that this is a company that has been in the news business since the 20s, so as nearly a century. Um, the Murdoch family have been involved in newspapers and in big positions in newspapers for over a century. The media, they say, and their newspapers are about opening up society to itself, the first draft of history, explaining what's going on. So if that's what you say your reason for being is, then why do you not do more of that about yourself? Why is there not more allowing of scrutiny of yourself? You know, so I, that leaves a gap where we all speculate about what they're doing and why. But really, this is a company that says it's about news and information. So at this point, um, we should be as skeptical about the claims um, about news and information, not just because of the current output, but because the origins as well. Is your is your main thesis? Um, I, I just think the origins are important to to get out mm -hmm. there and say this is this is where it comes from and why they're still so sensitive about it. As I say, they weren't the only one. Um, you know, the Herald and Weekly Times, which has been folded into in the end, um, Rupert Murdoch's company as well, had similar origin stories. So of several other newspapers. So. There's no point being sensitive about it. That That's where their connections were. Now the question for today is, what are the connections now? What's going on now? Um, and that's still a, a very important and open question that, that's being asked. Sally, thank you so much for joining us. It was great to get this kind of insight into mm -hmm. the, the untold story um, of the company. And is there anything that you have coming out soon that you would like to promote? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm just beavering away working on the next book. <laughs> Sally Young is a professor of political science at Melbourne University and author of Paper Emperors, The Rise of Australia's Newspaper Empires. So if you like the podcast, please subscribe to us. We are available on all the podcast apps. I think we're on Overcast and we're on iTunes Podcast and we're Google Podcast, by the way, takes a few days to syndicate apps. So podcasts. So if you if you can't find us there, just keep hitting refresh. Great. Thank you so much. And hey, as well, we are on social media. You can find us at Murdocracy Podcast. We have a Facebook group, which we would really love you to join. Uh, we're going to you know, discuss content throughout the week, post the podcast and chat with you. So please join. You can find it at Murdocracy Podcast on Facebook. That is us for now. Sammy, thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Cam. <laughs>